Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. Come Um, hey guys, I want you guys to remember you guys can contact me on Twitter at Miley6Man. The show is on Twitter at CGS Hero. You can email the show. You can email me personally using the email address CGSHero at gmail.com. Give me some feedback. Why don't you? Ask me some questions. Ask me to ask some future guests some questions. I'll be talking to you about some of my future guests here today. So it's a full half hour, like no time to talk barely. And next week's the same thing, and the week after that, three weeks of this guest today. He is a writer, producer, and uh, and he had a lot to offer. And if you enjoy part one, you're going to enjoy part two and three. And stay tuned after part one today to hear a preview of what's coming up throughout the next six episodes as I take us into the new year with some great content. Yeah, great content and some great guests. And you won't want to miss that, and I don't want you to miss it either. Uh, so please stay for that. In the meantime, uh, without further ado, it, it, it's it's packed. Uh, here's uh, the great Brian Bihar uh, talking to me here. All right, guys, you guys hear this like almost every time I have a new guest, and I'm going to say it again. I am so fortunate, so lucky, and so grateful to be able to have this person on my show uh, today's guest is a writer and producer who's been bringing television, uh, family-friendly television for the most part, it seems, for over 21 years. His name is Brian Behar. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, no problem. Uh, You're, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure. If, it's I had, a, if I had that encouraging of a, an intro from my mother, I probably wouldn't have had to be a comedy writer, but uh, <laughs> so always have Always happy to wake up to uh, anything bordering on a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> no problem, man. You'll probably get a bunch of those because, you know, first of all, just just being real, I got to pander to my guests. But second of all, you're you're worthy of a couple compliments here. Um, oh, good. No pander away. I'm. Uh, <laughs> believe me, my my self my self esteem is such that I will gladly take it. So, so uh, th- really, I appreciate you having me. I've, I've looked forward to this for a long time. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's been kind of fun getting it scheduled, but you, you worked with me. You, you didn't have to, and I really appreciate it. I feel like I know you personally, even though this is the first time we've actually spoken uh, verbally. Uh, but yeah, no, does, does, does my voice frighten you? I, I sound a little like Lou Rawls for those, uh, those <laughs> list of your listeners that are over 100 years old. But, uh, <laughs> I was actually at some don't, point. Don't, go ahead, go ahead. Don't let my deep, rich baritone scare you. I'm not actually Darth Vader. <laughs> That's great. We'll address that hundred-year-old thing in a little bit. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, I feel like because and I'll try to stop interrupting you. We'll see if I can do that. Oh uh, no problem. I interrupt too. It's all the nature of conversation. But but what I've been doing in preparation for this interview is I've been reading a lot of your Huffington Post articles, 
And uh, I believe we've been friends on Twitter. I, would you call it friends or acquaintance or whatever? We've been following each other on Twitter for like a year. Um, I think yeah, that's so fair to say. I assume we're good friends. We've never actually spoken. This is this is not pretend. So this is live radio, <laughs> live podcasting, live recorded podcasting. Yeah, it's not even live. <laughs> recording, recorded to tape. We still have tape. You see that? This is how little I know, but I'm I am willing to roll with all the punches this morning. Do they use tape in television still, or are they going digital all, all the way? I think it's digital all the way. But, awesome. Uh, I should, you know what? I should be one you could ask that question. I think it, I think it's predominantly digital now. But I, you know, when I broke in, like there, certainly when I broke into advertising, I remember walking into an edit bay where people were still like cutting, cutting film by hand and hanging strips from the ceiling, and I was like. Wow, I've made it, you know. <laughs> even you know, even then they had switched to Avid machines, you know, when I was still in advertising and that was over twenty years ago. So my guess is there probably aren't a ton of people cutting cutting actual film strips, you know. Right. But uh, a little little out of my purview. So they might be, I don't know. That's okay, man. You got you got your focus, man. You got it. Seems like in, in television, like in most jobs, you have your lane, you stay in, and you got to focus on what you're doing. As long as you do your part and the other one does their part, everything works together, and you have that beautiful production, you know, at the end. Yeah, my it's exactly right. My lane is pretty much I sit in the writers' room and I binge eat uh, cashews, <laughs> push down my feelings, and uh, try to pitch jokes, and you know. And sort of just make whatever show I happen to be on at the time, uh, hopefully a little bit funnier, and you know, start you know, try to tell stories well that uh, that people care about. But uh, yeah, no, that's basically basically the job of the comedy writer is you. Um, and they didn't tell me this before going in. I thought, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm very shy. I'm going to sit and, and and write with my partner. And then the, I got to my very first job in 1996. On Ned and Stacy, you know, and they're like, "Well, come in the writers' room." I'm like, literally, I was like, "What's a writers' room?" You know, <laughs> it was all it was all foreign to me. And I said, "I soon discovered that about 95% of the job is sitting in a room with people. It's basically like comedy jury duty. You are you are trapped in a room with 12 angry men and often one one or two women, and you uh, you do the best you can and." Uh, Come back tomorrow and just sit in the exact same seat. <laughs> well, well, I definitely want to get into that a little bit because um, uh, you got it. Yeah. The, the main thing that I thought about when thought about bringing you on the show is uh, what I do on my show is like to introduce people to things. Like I've had voice actors like, well, no one knows that voice, you know, the person behind the voice. Well, no one knows the writer behind their favorite TV shows. And and the truth is, while you come in all humble, you talk about burying your feelings and your cashews or whatever, <laughs> you're an important part of the process. So I really want to get into that. But it is interesting that even as I'm about to hopefully head into my 22nd season, like in in part, in part, you're like, oh, you know, I, I I must have some wisdom to dispense. But there's still a huge part of it. It's like, why is he calling me? I I don't know anything. I feel like, you know, I still feel like I just broke in. And I, you know, and I wonder whether that, uh, I wonder whether that ever goes away. But it also, I guess it is important to always feel both hungry and appreciative of the opportunity. You know, I, you know, there have been so many, so many years where we haven't been on any show. So, um, you know, I definitely no, you know, at no point take for granted that like that this is a, you know, this is a career or, or a job that, uh, you know, that I've, I'm somehow entitled to. You know, 
every year has been a struggle to to get work, and so any time that I do, uh, yeah, I'm very thankful. And you know, the fact that uh, well, we haven't talked about it specifically, but the fact that I'm I've been on uh, the new Netflix show Fuller House, and and hopefully I'm going back uh, soon for uh, third season, has been has been really lucky for me. So we can we can talk about that. I can I can perhaps sound a little less churchy with the rest of my answers. <laughs> I've obviously never read with a name like Bihar or as it probably sounds to most of your listeners, <laughs> you know, I probably don't, uh, haven't been in many churches, but uh, I appreciate you not inter- And coming up next, Jaime Kaikin. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's a little bit of a Jewish name, but uh, um, I'm sorry, what was your question? And I will stop trying to, uh, I'll stop trying to stall from an- answering real quick. So. Well, you're entertaining people. That's good. So, <laughs> just knowing what I'm you trying. do. Is this, this, this working? It's, it's great. It's great, man. I, good. Well, let me ask good. you before I we get it. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. No, I didn't. I didn't take it up Xanax when I woke up this morning. So, so I, <laughs> you never, you never know what I'm going to say. And I count on that. Shoot. All right. Good. good. <laughs> let me ask you the obvious question. You've probably been asked a million times. You made a joke about it when you did your stand up. Uh, are you related in any way to Joy Behar? Um, I am not. Okay. I mean, uh, I, I could. I mean, that's the short answer. The longer answer is that uh, Behar. Well, it's funny. Two things. Two things that, that come out of that. One is my family has always pronounced it Behar. So the fact that she's the most famous person with our with our last name has you know has really screwed me in the long run because now my now my name which. Had already been pronounced by people as Bihar, Behar, Bahar, and Bayer. Is, is, is sort of like I, now people are just like Brian Bayer. I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> I'm not on the view, so she's got kind of a first, you know, first priority. I think that that was her married name. So she's a, you know, even with the big red afro, she's not actually Jewish. So uh, <laughs> all right, I, my guess is she's guess not, she's not Jewish. If, if we search. She is not Jewish. Okay, I don't know why you said this is a surprise. <laughs> okay. No, I'm, I'm shocked too. I'm like in my mind, I'm picturing, like I'm picturing Bette Midler. You know, like yeah, she might be she might be the single most Jewish person who is not Jewish. I mean, that's a game we could probably play. I know, I know there are a lot of people who got Bruce Springsteen wrong over the years, <laughs> and then there's always a, and there's always like a baseball play. You know, like people like I know a lot of my friends are like. Kipnis must be a guy I went to Hebrew school with, but apparently he is not. He is not Jewish, but Ian Kindler is, and Ryan Braun, Kevin Euclid. I do carry a. Uh, I used to carry. All right, I do. All right, I do carry a little list of all major league Jewish baseball players in my wallet, just so I have it. And, and any anything is possible like for anybody. Yeah, I, I, I am not someone who 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 was. Who remembers that I have the access to the internet on my phone? So I still carry little strips of paper around with uh, with lists. So if the Nazis ever come for me, they they are like, oh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, the that's Trumpsters. Topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got another post post election topic, but we will we will we will maybe steer clear of that for a little bit and. Uh, <laughs> There'll be time. <laughs> There's time. Back to show. Back to show. Back to Joy Behar. 
you know, I always worry about you know the Jewish topic when I'm talking to a Jewish person, with anybody of any race or culture. I don't want to get all like Jiminy Glicket, you know, like you know, as a non-Jew, no, no, no. <laughs> you know. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear your invitation. <laughs> do it. Well, I have a twice broken nose. So I think I could pass if I had to. I really do. No, no, that's, that's a terrible impression. Well, yeah, no, 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 it's good. And uh, no, if you, if anyone has seen me, it's not like it's not the world's ju- biggest secret between the between my swarthy complexion, and my you know, my Dukakis style eyebrows, and uh, and, a, and a fairly a fairly prominent hook. I think uh, I think people could probably figure it out. And the fact that I usually mention it within the first. First sentence of meeting someone, so it's, uh, it's something I'm proud of, and uh, is in, in no in no means something that I try to steer clear of. So, so you're not really at the Joy Behar. Well, it was nice having you on the show, Brian. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you hired me here under false pretense, but uh, I've uh, I've made a career out of uh, out of claiming to be her son. You know, <laughs> her son. That's good. That's good. so sure she appreciates that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm sure she does. I mean, considering I'm probably twice her age. But, um... <laughs> oh man! All right. So, so when you were growing up, did you have a goal yep. that involved writing? Did you want to be in entertainment, or is that something you sort of fell into? Um, absolutely fell into it. I um, I was incredibly shy growing up. Like, um, you know, I, like I think I would be the I think I would be pro- arguably like the last person that people who went to elementary school would say like was going to be funny, would ever perform stand up, would get laughs for a living. Like um, I remember my, my first day of first grade, um, my my mother for whatever reason I think cause it was on sale at Petco sent me to school with a Julia lunchbox. <laughs> for those of your listeners who aren't like literally a million, Julia was a uh, a sitcom. Diane Carroll as a um, it was like a, it was an important show because she was like the first African American lead on a sitcom. But like I went to a school where like all the boys had like oh, yeah. Superman and Spider Man and Six Million Dollar Man, and like not that many people had like well meaning well meaning colored woman in nursing shoes, you know, <laughs> as their lunchbox. So you know, so I definitely got you know the shit beat out of me because even like the kids with the strawberry. Shortcake backpacks. So get him. He's queer. And they're like kicking me with their Capizio jazz slippers. But uh, you know, like these. These are you know. Every, everyone needs their origin story. And, there it uh, is, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that's mine. I mean, like, let, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not a, someone who you know approves of you know any sort of bigotry or violence. But right. You know, it was kind of hard for me to. <laughs> in this case, it was kind of hard for me to avoid. Like I. You know, I could have ridden to school, you know, shirtless on a unicorn through a field of penises <laughs> with Bruce Valanche's ball still in my mouth. Still appeared straighter than I did when I arrived in my first day of first grade. So, you know. Oh, man. So, I guess, look, so looking back, uh, you know, looking back, my, my route to being a comedy writer was sort of, you know, written long, long ago. But I, I didn't know it. Um, I, I never... You know, I, I, in in high school, like I wrote a few speeches for speech class and and like got surprisingly a surprising amount of laughs. But I still went off to college, like assuming that I was going to be an attorney, like all of my friends did. And then after about a semester, I was like, God, I really don't, 
I really am bad at that. And I started writing a column for my uh, for the Brown Daily Herald, my college paper. And 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 from that point on, I'm like, oh wait, like like this is what I love. Like you know, I love having a voice. I love making people laugh. And 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 even then, um, a you know, a, a job in television seems way beyond anything that I uh, could fathom. So I. As much as I wanted to write comedy and specifically sitcom, when I left college, I uh, got into advertising as a copywriter, and I did that for seven years. Um, and, and then, all, you know, all the while, still wanting to break into TV, trying to write spec scripts, you know, writing alone. I wrote with three or four different partners, and it just like it just seemed like something that was unattainable. And then, um, and then I uh, hooked up with um, uh, my partner Steve Baldakowski, who's the guy I went to college with. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to write a spec script. And at this time, I had, I had moved out of L.A. I would moved up to San Francisco and committed to my ad career. I mean, I was seven years in. But I was like, wait a second, that's my dream. You, so he, he knew exactly which levers to pull, you know, like that he was going to succeed in something that he never had expressed interest in. So I was like, no, we're going to write this together. And then uh, we wrote <laughs> one spec script. And uh, two months later, uh, we were on Ned Stacy, which... You know, so it, like to some people, like it felt like wow, like it was like a true overnight success, but it had been, you know, a full seven years of, you know, of trying and perseverating and like really doubting myself, you know, to get to that point. So it was both an overnight success as well as like you know a, a pretty lengthy journey. So. Well, it's another one. I, I hear this a lot. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just I hope I didn't ask. I hope I didn't jump ahead and, and take away your next six questions about how I broke in. What the process? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, by doing that, you helped the interviewer along. Because here, here's what I'm supposed to be able to do as someone claiming to be a skilled podcast interviewer: is I gotta be able to try to elaborate you're, you're on doing things. Very well, but thank you're doing you. Very well. So I'm, you know, kudos to you. I think somebody did something right. Right. Well, it's something I talk about on my podcast, and you kind of hit on it there with your story, with with, with your background. Um, I started my podcast because I haven't done anything with my career. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had a career, and I've always wanted one. And I've always held back, held back. I got to take care of the family. I got to pay the bills. Life is happening. Well, this is your case is another one of those cases where you just put your voice out there, or you put your writing out there, and you made something happen for yourself. And, and that's what you have to do. You can't wait for it to come along. So, so kudos to you for that. You know, that's what brought your career well, thank along. Thank you. I mean, yeah, and and, and I mean, really to. To the exact point which you just made, um, even once I've got onto television shows, much of the actual career of writing TV, unless it's your own show, is you know you are trying to mimic the voice of whoever the showrunner is, whoever the creator of the show is. Um, you know, and, I, and as I mentioned, I've been writing with a partner for for the last 22 years, so um, it had been like a really long time since I had a voice of my own, and then like. And I was, like, very skittish about putting it out. Like, I was, like, maybe the last person on the planet to join Facebook. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, like the social network had already been out, and they, they run that thing. There's already 500 million users, and I'm like, I'm not right. one of them. Um, you know, because I was too terrified of even having my own voice in that minimal way. I was so used, you know, I was afraid of what people might say. You know, I was afraid of writing without somebody else. Um, and that was kind of a baby step in that, like, was really encouraging. And then 
like two years, two, three years later, I joined Twitter. I was very late to join that. And then that has opened up all sorts of possibilities for me. Like, you know, people want to, like, you know, talk to me on podcasts, for instance, which is super exciting. Um, I was able to get my uh, gig as a blogger on the Huffington Post. Right. Um, like, directly as a result of that, I was, like, found just from, like, playing hashtag games. And, like, that, like, truly has been life-changing. It pays zero dollars. Yep. And it's been the best thing I've ever, it's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. Like, I've, I have now written, um, I think, 19 pieces on a, on a range of topics, um, you know, in the last year and a half. And, like, like that's just another example, as you said, about getting your voice out there. And that's what, and, like, and, and then doing that is, like, even encouraged me as a 50-year-old to uh, try stand-up comedy. And I had my first show last week uh, with my, like, my name on the poster, you know, as a 50-year-old man after having, like, only done, a, you know, a handful of open mics ever. It took you uh, long enough. Was, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it feels like it's an, an old man's game. So that's, a, that's the exciting part. Uh, I think people are looking for a new heavy set uh, 50-year-old Santa. <laughs> no, and everyone says, like, well, Rodney Dangerfield, yeah, but... No, I don't expect to. I don't expect to uh, have uh, like any sort of career at it, but the ability to find your own voice, to get your voice out there, like if you've got something to say and like find, like you said, whether it's a podcast or a blog or stand up or writing, like like that has been maybe the biggest change in my life as I've as I, you know as I've entered my fifties is I'm like, I've, I now have more outlets to to say things than I ever did before. And it's like, and I've never felt better about all of it, you know, as a result. That's that's awesome, man. That's that's good to hear, and that's something that people need to hear. And it's part of, again, another part of my show is inspiring. This is inspiring stuff. Uh, you know, it's funny, when cool. you when you get into this uh, writing thing, what's it look like? You said it was like a writing room, like a jury room. I picture it's kind of like 30 Rock with a bunch of people sitting around pitching ideas and seeing what yeah. sticks. It's exactly, that's, I mean, that, that is as accurate as a portrayal as you're going to get. Like, it is people sitting around pitching ideas, you know, and, you know, the good news on 30 Rock, you can, you know, they can show people pitch a few funny jokes and then cut away to another scene. You know, in an actual writer's room, like, you're often in there, like, 12, 14 hours a day with the same people you were with, you know, you know, right. until, the, until uh, 2 in the morning the night before. You know, so, like, a lot of it is, you know, is, you know, how funny you could be. And a lot of it is just, like, stamina and, you know, and the ability to absorb different personalities. I mean, it really, like, my partner and I, we wanted to write a, uh, like, we wanted to write a pilot at one point about kind of our experience in the writer's room, but but not have it be, you know, not have it be 30 Rock. And then we, we wrote a pilot, actually, that was called We the Jury, about people who uh, were on a sequestered murder trial and just what it's like to be trapped in a room with the same people. We pitched it as, like, lost in a Ramada Inn. <laughs> and, like, you know, and don't worry, it, it never made it on the air. Oh. Know, my partner and I are... My partner and I have more dead pilots than Malaysia Airlines, so like, <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> don't worry, we've never gotten a show on the air, but uh, you know, but like that is that is a little bit what it's like, uh, and and not in a bad way. I mean, it's you know, you're sitting. I mean, you're getting paid to sit and laugh 
and be around, you know, world-class funny people, and, and you get to make TV. So, like, in the midst of it, you, you forget that. In the midst of it, it, it just becomes frequently, you know, whatever show you're on, another job. Now, there are shows where, like, the showrunner, and that's, like, sort of the catch-all term that for, like, the person who is in charge of, it's usually the person who created the show, but not always, but that's the person who's in charge of the whole production and specifically in charge of the writer's room. And your job is to basically serve them. Like, it's great if you have your own voice, but it doesn't really help you when you're on someone else's TV show. And, and, and so you're trying to serve them. And I've been on shows where people have a very clear vision. Like, I, you know, I was on The New Adventures of Old Christine, and, like, you know, Carrie Leiser knew exactly the, exactly the voice, and her voice was so in tune with Julia Louis-Dreyfus's that we were out of there at 5 o'clock. Right. You know, in the afternoon. Like, you know, rare, and I don't think we ever ate dinner there. And then I've been on shows where, whose names I don't need to, to mention, <laughs> but, like, where, you know, where the tone of the show is something that is shifting, uh, where the vision of the showrunner is, is, is a little murkier, and then you could be there late into the night, every night. You don't, you know, you might see your kids on the weekends. Just be, it, it, it's all really a function of that person. And that's a, that, that seems like a hard job. It's a, it's a job I've never had. But right. uh, I don't envy anyone. I know, I know everyone wants it. You know, like when I speak to classes of aspiring uh, TV students, you know, all anyone talks about is wanting to be like a celebrity showrunner, you know, like Matt Weiner or Vince Gilligan or, you know, uh, David E. Kelly. But um, it's a, it seems to be a pretty tough job, but it's also, unlike film, like it's, it's, the, it's, a one, it's the one case where the writer is truly in charge. Um, and, you know, especially in the, in the cases of, the, you know, those names that I mentioned. So, like, when people often ask, you know, like, how is the writer's role in TV and film differ, like, you know, the shorthand answer is that, you know, film is a director's medium, but TV remains a writer's medium. Now, there's only right. people trying to, trying to encroach on that, and there's, there's lots of, you know, it's a collaborative process, and there's lots of chefs that need to be, you know, to be served, but, you know, by and large, that remains true. Wow, so uh, is, there, is it competitive in the writer's room, or, or are you trying to get the lines, are you trying to get them to take your lines over someone else's lines, or, or what's that like? Yes. Uh, well, again, it, it, like, to me, like, it's akin to, like, an NBA team in which, like, you are simultaneously trying to, you know, pad your own score, you know, right. pad your own score sheet, but you're also trying to do it within the the confines of a team sport, like, you know, like if you're someone who is going to just like try to speak over people and ramrod your jokes in, like that might feel good in the short term, but no one's going to want to work with you. Right. You know, like you know, you read about the Lakers in, the, in Kobe's last season, and it was you know a bunch of incredibly talented draft picks, you know, standing around with their hands in their pants while you know <laughs> he shows watching off. some old watching some old guys throw up you know, 40, 43 pointers a game and make six. You know, like, <laughs> nobody wants that. Right. You know, but it is, yeah, but but it is very competitive. Like, uh, you know, and, and then and there, are, there are hurt feelings. I mean, um, it, you know, like, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to name names, but like, like we had like a, 
we worked recently on a show where like a very like a very famous stand-up was trying to be like a writer in the writer's room, and it was just a a very fraught transition, you know, for someone who and not not through any fault of his own, but for someone who was used to commanding the stage right. on his own for an hour at a time to have to share the stage with a lot of people firing things, you know, at will. And then like the other thing to bear in mind is so much of the job is not telling jokes. Like that's that's the other myth. Like I went into it thinking like, okay, this I could do this, I could be funny. Um and then like so much of it is is storytelling and breaking stories and like plotting out story beats on, you know, on white erase boards and 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 admittedly my partner and I really weren't good at that for about a decade. Like we used to think, oh, like that's something the grown-ups are going to do. And then we're always like, no, like we're, <laughs> you know, like this is a huge, this is a huge part of the job. We can't just like, you know, nap and eat and read a magazine while other people figure out the story. And and so that's something that we kind of have forced ourselves to be equally good at it because especially, you know, at the level we're at now, like it's a it's it it is a huge requirement and it should be a huge requirement, you know, because you know without like you know, a well-thought-out, you know, functioning story, none of the jokes matter. As much as I like to believe when I was younger that, you know, a good <laughs> joke could cover any story flaw, but, I, yeah, you know, I still kind of believe that, but... Uh, Whoa. So, you, you can believe... I just spoke out of both sides of my mouth. You can believe <laughs> whichever one you want. Well, we do. I, I think, as, as in most cases, the truth falls somewhere in the middle. Um I mean, most of which you've been writing, I guess, you've been writing mostly comedy sitcom, but I guess you would say, based on what you just said, if I'm reading you correctly, uh, there you write some more sensitive materials to develop the characters, to develop the story, to, to give it more meaning than just being a, a laugh-off. Absolutely. I mean, and, it, and it's, uh, what's, what has struck me, I mean, I, I now, God, I hate to sound like, you know, like Yoda, you know, like, but like I've done this enough that I've seen enough, you know, I've now been on, this will now be our 21st show in 22 seasons, which is doing it the easy way, but I've now seen enough uh, varied experiences to realize that like every, every experience is different. I would say like, like for instance, like there have been shows that I've been on where all we did was laugh and you can't believe how funny it is and then it appears on television and you're like, Oh, what are we laughing about? Like, it it know, didn't like, translate. None of, none of it, yeah, it doesn't really translate. And then I've been on shows, like, I would say maybe two of the most painful writers' rooms I've been in, and, like, just in terms of, like, re- they were really, really arduous and really serious, were Andy Richter Controls the Universe and Wilfred, which... Which we'll get into next week to be continued. Um, what a great joy it was talking to Brian. I'm sure you you've enjoyed this as much as I have, and it's just more and more to enjoy in the next episode and the episode after that. So two more parts of Brian uh, Bihar coming up. It's Bihar, and uh, oh god, that Jimmy Glick impression, man, I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to hear from Brian Bihar. And in the um, following interviews, as I take this uh, this come get some journey into uh, the next new year, uh, I follow up Brian Bihar with Heidi Cox. She'll be returning for a second stint on the show as a guest, uh, talking more about her 
her abusive situation she got out of. She attributes her uh, creation of Stalking LeVar to saving her life. You get to hear why that is in more detail. Uh, I felt like we didn't give anywhere near enough time uh, in that last interview, so um, I invited her back to talk about it again. If you need or someone you know needs uh, to deal with a situation like that, I urge you to listen to the show. I think you'll get something out of it or your friend will get something out of it. Following that up, as we get closer to the year anniversary of Come Get Some, uh, getting into uh, mid to late January, we're going to hear from Donna Hare, who actually worked in NASA in Texas um, through, a, uh, through, through a contract company. I forget the name of it, but we'll get into that, where she witnessed some things uh, that convinced her that uh, UFOs have visited the Earth. So we'll get to talk to somebody who's actually part of the Disclosure Project, who actually uh, test, would testify if called upon uh, what she's seen. And she'll be on Come Get Some to talk about that. So uh, so a little bit of more UFO talk, but this time with somebody uh, potentially in the know. Uh, so look forward to that and much more coming up. Uh, probably going to be having uh, Jeff Hillier from Denix uh, Radio on, uh, and we'll be talking about about uh, depressions and, and deal with that a little bit as we get into uh, the new year. So look forward to all that and more. Uh, come get some in full effect. The the sixth call is uh, something I'm very grateful for, and I look forward uh, to take us in the new year uh, with some great quality content here on Come Get Some. Until then, for now, uh, that about sums it up. See you next week. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.